Simpsons time. So last week I talked about Burns's heir, obviously a Burns-centric episode. Today we're going to talk about another Burns-centric episode um, that comes significantly later in the series and is, uh, I don't mind saying, significantly less strong, but still very funny and has a lot of uh, stuff in it that as is the case with a lot of these slightly post-classic episodes, um, a lot of really great jokes that it's hard to remember what show they're from. I know that that's true for throughout the series, but the classic episodes are just so well poured over and studied um, that it's easier, even if they're like completely jam-packed with jokes, as Burns' air certainly was. The one we're talking about this time is Monty Can't Buy Me Love, season 10, written by John Swartzwelder um, and directed by Mark Irvin. And it is all about Burns's insecurity at his uh, wealth. And there have been a bunch of episodes like this, the one where... Uh, He and Lisa team up uh, to have this environmentally sound business is one. Um, there are several, you know, where Burns sort of has a weird crisis of conscience about his money or doesn't have money anymore or, you know, something happens psychologically to him. And, of course, with him, everything is tied into his money. Um, he becomes insecure because he sees this Richard Branson-type billionaire called Arthur Fortune, which I think is a good name, uh, being so free with his money and such a sort of fun playboy. Um, and he sees that the public loves this guy, and he gets jealous because nobody loves him. So he hires Homer, or I guess just like contracts Homer without paying him anything extra, uh, to try to make him more fun. And Homer and the rest of the family try very hard to change Burns' image. And he goes on the radio. Um, I like the joke of, oh, we got to get your face out there. And there's just a very brief shot 
of his terrible visage of bloodshot eyes and like a lizard tongue <laughs> uh, darting out. And Lisa, who suggested it, immediately says, Oh, you get your face out there on the radio. Um, so he goes on a extremely Howard Stern-esque program. I don't know, you know, what else it could be modeled after. Uh, called Jerry Rude and the Bathroom Bunch. <laughs> so that is definitely a funny name and title of something. Jerry Rude, incidentally, guest voiced by Michael McKeon. Something I didn't know until just this past week when I was studying the episode. Uh, hats off to Michael McKeon. Like, everyone loves him and, and it's deserved. Um... This, uh, predictably, this radio stint does not work. Um, and so more desperate measures are needed. And Homer and Burns, along with Frank and, for some reason, groundskeeper Willie, I guess because he's Scottish, all end up in Loch Ness, and they kidnap the Loch Ness monster and bring him back to Springfield. And uh, that third act that all takes place in Scotland is definitely the most outlandish part of the episode. Um, and the monster himself is, I mean, how do you draw a Loch Ness monster in Simpsons style? It's, it's a little bit strange to see that. It's al he almost looks like Barney the Dinosaur. I mean, he's definitely purple. I wonder why they made him purple. Um, and he does these things of acting like a person, you know, like having human facial expressions and stuff, uh, especially in the very end when he's in Springfield and all the reporters uh, bombard him a la King Kong. The joke there is that instead of being enraged by the cameras, the monster likes it and is sort of basking in their attention um, while Burns is uh, completely bewildered by the flashes and he's the one who destroys the stage. Uh, and I guess learns a lesson <laughs> finally at the end of that. I can defend the choice of making Nessie have human acting and facial expressions and mannerisms because nobody knows what it really looks like you know I mean if it was a dog or a cow or something you know we already know what those animals do but Loch Ness Monster nobody has really seen it so it can be anything you want but I can't help but wonder if it was like really grotesque weird you know uh, frog-like behavior <laughs> instead of this cute, like, cartoon animal type of thing. Um, and that is the entire plot. There is stuff all throughout here that seems kind of like padding. Um, and I guess that goes along with what I'm saying about the incidental jokes in it. Uh, which, you know, that's fine. It's nothing wrong with that. But um, it gives it 
an unusual feel, you know, for this strong season. And especially this sort of realism-based season. There's a lot of very down-to-earth stories in season 10. Um, it, I don't know, it's almost like it has one foot in the realism world and one foot in the totally fantastic world. But that's, you could name like 200 Simpsons episodes that are like that. So basically, I'm not really sure what I'm saying, but um, I guess what I'm saying is that there are a lot of incidental jokes and there's a lot of scenes too that don't have to do with the real action. Um, and I guess we do see that more and more as we get later and later in the series. You know, the first act often has absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the story. So the way we come to Burns's crisis, psychological crisis, is that the Simpsons, after watching uh, the Antiques appraisal show, um, take a walk because Marge is mad at them that they watch too much TV and they're too lazy. Um, you'll notice at the beginning that she's holding a piece of paper shaped like a duck. I was watching this actually on my laptop, which I rarely do, um, and that stuck out to me. And then the payoff came at the end of that scene where she's just like, okay, I guess we won't go for a walk. Why don't you all listen to this new poem that I wrote about a duck? <laughs> and she picks up the paper. And I think if you freeze frame, there is actually something written on the paper, but I didn't read it. Uh, so... I don't know, that was satisfying, that made me laugh because the duck-shaped paper stuck out right away. Um, and so, yeah, the, the cut immediately is to them taking a walk, signifying that they definitely did not want to hear that poem. Um, and uh, there's a lot of humor of the boring there, too, on the walk when people are heckling them because they're walking like Barney leans out of his car and says get a horse uh, but Marge is totally oblivious to that and she's pointing out all these boring things on the route there's the yarn store but you don't want to buy your buttons there um, very good Marge stuff there and that's where they see the opening of the Arthur Fortune mega store again very very much like the whole virgin phenomenon it's rich and there's multimedia and you can do anything and it's fun because i'm a billionaire uh, and arthur fortune himself is like there in a hot air balloon and he ends up throwing dollars into the crowd uh, i really like the joke when <laughs> homer is watching this spectacle you know before he goes on stage and meets arthur fortune Marge is standing near him and is like, where'd you get that champagne? He goes, clown. <laughs> they pan across, there's like a very sober-faced clown holding a champagne bottle like a maitre d'. So good. And that strikes me as Swartzweldian too. Correct me. Anybody who thinks it's not, but I that that's very, I don't know, very sort of zany and dry at the same time. Maybe like that champagne glass. Oh ho ho. Um, 
I was, I just said, watching it on my laptop. I use Simpsons World once in a while. I like it as a resource. Um, after my stress with tech support calls uh, of last night, I really wanted to lie down and watch TV instead of watching my DVDs sitting on the couch, and that's why I fired up Simpsons World. Um, they have a sort of pop-up video, not to reference the 90s overly, but a very pop-up video-esque feature now that gives you an episode guide um, that you can scroll along with as you watch the episode. Um, and I have never used it, or I had never used it until last night, and um, some of it was really useful, actually. <laughs> And uh, they say you may have missed uh, and give you examples of things that you may have missed, like little freeze frame jokes. And some of them are very, very fast. Uh, in the Antiques Roadshow-ish show, at the very beginning, um, there are there's a line of Springfieldians all holding different antiques to be appraised. Um, and the episode guide just lists them all and one of them was Krusty is scratching his back with a menorah um, and that's like amazing like that of course you know is there like I freeze framed it and made sure that it was there but I totally missed it the first like whatever 20 times to 50 times that I've seen this one um a few times, I think maybe three times, at least twice, uh, we see Homer's heteroflexibility come out when um, Burns mentions Arthur Fortune's name to him. And he goes, Oh, Arthur Fortune. Ah. <laughs> like he has a crush on Arthur Fortune. And this the idea that a billionaire could be a heartthrob is just so great. Um, and they carry that through to another joke where Burns and Smithers are together in the office. And Burns is reading the pages of Billionaire Beat with, you know, uh, like a teen mag with hearts with billionaires' faces inside. And I recognize Bill Gates was one and um, Rupert Murdoch was another. And Arthur Fortune was in the middle. So that was great that was great that was another thing that i needed to be very close to my screen to see seeing this stuff on the big screen too is very good for that for seeing little details Um, yeah, they take a helicopter to Scotland. They spend a long time next to the lake in Loch Ness. Uh, Homer goes down there supposedly to find the monster in the sort of like steampunk, you know, old, old looking diving suit. Like a, not a bathy sphere because that's an actual chamber but a suit with a with one of those you know spherical heads with a cage over it um and it turns out 
we learn that he doesn't look for the monster at all. He just goes through the lake to a pub and he's playing pinball in his scuba suit. Uh, and so, uh, and Frank has a couple of machines that fail to, and so Burns orders him to drain the lake with a pump because he's so impatient. And that is how they find the monster, but not before first mistaking a parade float for the monster. It was Loch Ness's homecoming float that said Stomp Aberdeen on the side. Meanwhile, groundskeeper Willie is reuniting with his family, and the joke is that Scottish people are very dour and emotionless. Uh, he says, like, oh, the whole town's turned out, and uh, it's three people, you know, all with stern expressions, not showing any emotion. Um, and his parents are there, and they just exchange very brief, uh, emotionless words. So that is, you know, another little dimension to Groundskeeper Willie that we hadn't seen before. And he gets a little uh, dig in at, you know, the, the aspect of Willie's character that he is poor and filthy, <laughs> um, saying th this joke about uh, he gets to see, reunite with the pool table I guess his parents own the tavern, right? He gets to reunite with the pool table where he was conceived, born, and educated. Just fine, just fine, just fine. Um, <laughs> uh, what else can I say? There's, yeah, one other thing that I think of frequently um, whenever somebody does a conga line or sings the conga song is when uh, they're seeing Arthur Fortune and Burns is witnessing how popular he is. He makes Smithers conga and he sings the conga, conga, conga. We love Monty Burns more conga like we meet like you mean it. Please don't make me shock you. Um, because he has, like, a cattle prod that he's shocking everybody with. <laughs> so, yeah, Jerry Rood and the bathroom bunch, there was a... I guess it was meant to be Burns-esque, you know, old-timey humor. He's like, oh, what's the most popular radio show of the day is it still like Don McCoy and his breakfast club you know and I, I find that that joke didn't really hit because it doesn't sound convincingly old like it's not old enough or not specific enough but Jerry Rude and the bathroom bunch I think is like an amazing title <laughs> uh, the design of Jerry Rude is like so good that it makes me uncomfortable like he just looks like such a scary jerky guy and I you know I used to listen to Howard Stern a lot and I laughed at it uh, but yeah this I, I know what they were going for the, the more off-putting aspects of Howard Stern 
Uh, Jerry Rude drank his coffee also out of a mug shaped like a toilet, which I thought was a good detail. Anyway, and uh, the last thing I'll say is that the title, um, which I have absolutely no problem with, I think it's really funny. Um, and, you know, I shouldn't... I have this syndrome of Simpsons fans where everything is to be criticized and put down, and I have to uh, rein that in as much as I can. I mean, this is a show that I not only have loved for most of my life, I spend a lot of time thinking about and watching, so it has given me so, so much entertainment, but like picking it apart is like half the fun of it too. I know you understand. I mean, I know that the impulse is like kind of ugly, but that's what we nerds are like. I, I mean, what can I say? Um, the title of the episode is funny. Monty can't buy me love, you know, obviously I respond to that being a huge Beatles fan. Um, it also reminded me of a later episode called A Hunk A Hunk A Burns In Love. And I wonder if they, you know, thought of the earlier one when they were titling that later one, which maybe I'll do soon. That's a Valentine's Day show uh, guest starring Julie Louis Dreyfus as a slur my words because I've been talking too long um, as uh, Burns' girlfriend so that's like that's a whole other aspect of Burns that we can explore anyway anyway Arthur Fortune ah, <laughs> this has been Simpsons Time thank you for listening to Simpsons Time <laughs> Everybody says they want a million bucks But I'd rather have a million days with you My account doesn't go that high It doesn't mean you have to say goodbye to me I can't promise And we are listening to the song Million Bucks by All here on Simpsons Time Through the Debigulator. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in or for downloading the podcast or, you know, whatever you did. I super appreciate it. I'm Amanda Nazario, and I look forward to greeting you from the WFMU airwaves this coming Saturday, September 15th, 2018, from 9 to 11 a.m. with my friend Roger. We are doing a kids' show called Double Dip Recess with Roger and Amanda. Um, very, very excited to deliver kids music to the lucky people of Jersey City and the greater New York area. This uh, podcast will continue for the time being, too. I don't want to make you guys miss it, um, but there might be more hiatuses and stuff as I work more on the kids show. Um, 
it's it's all fine it's all great anyway i will talk to you very soon and i hope you're having a great week bye I'd rather have a million in